We go through this sort of thing all the time overseas. Thank you for making me feel so much at home. <laughs> That's right. Praise the Lord. Anyway, uh, to finish the thought, this used to say, this does say buy a bunk. This used to be a project that we asked people to help us with, and that project has been finished. And so uh, now we're on to other things like this security fence that will give us additional security around the walls of the compound. So if you can help us, we sure appreciate that. And last but certainly not least, and we're going to talk some about this tonight, uh, there's an audio series called The Power of Peace. Uh, the peace of God, the Bible says this peace passes all understanding. It guards our heart and it guards our mind. And there's a lot of people out there that really need to rediscover the truth of that. So the Lord led me to uh, study this out in great detail and produce an extended CD series on this subject of peace. So if for any reason you've lost yours or need to get more of it or some of it back, I would recommend this to you as well. Those are out there, and they will uh, certainly go a long way to helping you restore the peace you once had or get to a place of peace the way God designs for it to be for each and every one of us. Okay. All right. All right. Having said all of this, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 54. and We're going to read from verse number 13. And we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. This is the 54th chapter of Isaiah. And verse number 13. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what it says. And I'm reading from the New King James. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace. Notice the peace of your children. In righteousness, they shall be established. They shall be far from oppression for you or you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Notice, for our sake, not for God's sake. And then verse 16, Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. Verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Now I want you to notice in verse number 14, we're talking about being established in righteousness. And in verse number 17, God says our righteousness comes from God. So it's like a sandwich here. It's like a righteousness sandwich. You've got the top bun, verse 14. You've got the bottom bun, verse 17. And in between, God's talking about the world in which we live. Now, of course, there was oppression and fear and terror back when these verses were penned. But now we're living in uncharted territory. There is more oppression, there is more fear, and there is more terror than ever before around this planet. Now, we need to understand that so that we're not uh, unprepared to face it. But I want you to notice what God is saying here. In righteousness, we should be established in the fact that we are the righteousness of God and that when these three things come, oppression, fear, and terror... Understand that even though they come, they're not going to come near us 
and they will surely assemble, but they're not from God, but they're from somebody, but they're not from God. And whoever assembles against us shall fall for our sake. Now, verse 16 is a very interesting verse. Basically, what God is saying here is, look, those that are used by the enemy to come against you, okay, never mind about them and never mind about the enemy himself, who's referred to as the spoiler. If I may paraphrase, God is simply saying, look, I, I created him. I'm responsible for him. Don't worry about that guy. Don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. Okay. Your responsibility is to handle the oppression, the fear, and the terror and understand that no weapon formed by the spoiler can prosper against you, meaning to say whatever he tries, as far as God is concerned, you and I have the wherewithal to resist it successfully because we are the righteousness of God in Christ, and our righteousness comes from God. So, therefore, now you need to remember, righteousness is a done deal for a child of God. If you are born again, you are righteous. No matter if you commit sin or make a mistake or break a vow, whatever, you're still the righteousness of God. Fellowship might be affected by these things, but righteousness is not. Okay? Sanctification is an ongoing process. The second kind of sanctification, there's three kinds, but the one where we become more and more like Jesus, that's an ongoing process day by day. But righteousness is not an ongoing process. It's a one-time event. Just like your birth is a one-time event. You know, on your birth certificate, there is a time of birth. You know, at 2.14 a.m. on such and such a date, in such and such a year, you were born at that time. It's not a progressing thing that just keeps going on and on. Okay? And that's the way we are with the righteousness of God. We are righteous. And as such, we need to know how to handle this business of oppression and fear and terror. Because God says they will surely assemble, but they're not coming from him. Okay, so when they do come, recognize the source of the attack first and foremost, and understand that because you're the righteousness of God in Christ, there's absolutely no reason why oppression or fear or terror should have any place of authority or influence in your life. Okay, and now more than ever, we need to read verses like this and be reminded of these things I'm sharing with you here tonight. Okay, because like I said a few minutes ago, historically speaking, we're in uncharted territory because of the Internet and social media and all that we have now at our disposal. You know, the world is a very small place and, you know, it's not uncommon or it's not out of the ordinary to just turn on your television set or turn on your computer or your portable electronic device, as they say. And in real time, watch people killing other people on, other, on the other side of the world. Case in point, you know, those Christians that the ISIS terrorists lined up on the beach and beheaded or slit their throats or whatever. Okay, uh, that's just one example of what we're talking about. This is a world in which this sort of thing is everyday stuff now. Oppression and fear and terror, but it should not come near us. We should not be affected by these things. We understand that they're going to come. But we know where they come from, and we're not going to let these things destroy our life or destroy our witness for the Lord. Those three things, oppression, fear, and terror, okay? Now, look with me at Mark chapter 9, verse 19 with me. Let's look at a story here for a few minutes. Mark chapter 9, okay, verse number 
19, I think. We might read a few verses ahead of that. Uh, let's see, where are we? Mark chapter 9. Let's get over to verse 19. Come along, help me out here. My Bible app. There. Okay. Verse 14. Mark 9, 14. When he came to the disciples, he, and that's a reference to Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when, he, when, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but notice, they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to Jesus in verse 20, and when the boy saw him, it says immediately the spirit within convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But, listen to this, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice how Jesus replies in verse 23. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now notice the response from the father in verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now I love the Bible because it presents stories that are brutally honest. And it shows us the frailty of humanity and the struggles people have with everyday situations like this where they know they should be believing God, but they're dealing with fear at the same time, faith and fear. What we have to do because of what Isaiah tells us that in these last days there will be oppression and fear and terror, okay, but they don't come from God and we should not have let those things that, uh, you know, uh, adversely affect our witness for the Lord, all of that notwithstanding, we're going to find ourselves in situations like this father here where he knows he should be trusting God, but because of things he has seen, now he's dealing with fear and double-mindedness. Now, when he showed up, he was full of faith and ready to uh, watch Jesus deliver his boy because no doubt he's heard all about this miracle worker. So he comes, you know, let's, let's be fair to the father before we criticize him too quickly. He comes with his demon-possessed child. Now, he's heard about Jesus. Everybody's talking about this miracle worker from Nazareth. Blind people are receiving their sight. Crippled people are walking. Demons are being cast out. Everybody's talking about this guy, Jesus. So he comes, not knowing anything one way or the other, with his demon-possessed child for deliverance. Now, when he gets there, Jesus is not there. Jesus is at the top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John. The nine other disciples are left at the bottom of the hill to wait for Jesus to return. 
So the father says, I brought my boy for Jesus to set him free. And the disciples said, well, we're sorry. He's not around. He's at the top of the mountain. And we don't know when he's going to come back. You know, it's not like they can pick up the cell phone and call Jesus and ask, when, when, when do you plan to be back? They don't know. Could be today. Might be tomorrow. They don't know. They don't have any idea. So they tell the guy, well, look, he's not around, but we're here. And we're nine of his closest disciples, and we've seen him do this. We know what he says, and we know what he does, so let us cast that spirit out. You don't have to wait for Jesus. So the father, not knowing any better, not knowing one way or the other, says, fine, okay, go for it. So the father watches nine faith failures in a row. Nine. Disciple number one tries unsuccessfully, passes the baton to disciple number two, and then to three and four and five and six and seven and eight and nine. Now, if I'm the father, not knowing anything one way or the other, I'm thinking, hmm, maybe this Jesus isn't all that he's cracked up to be. Maybe this this whole thing is just a hoax. I don't know, but I just watched nine of your closest disciples try and fail to cast that spirit out. So when Jesus actually does return and starts inquiring about what's been going on, you know, they they, you know, and he starts talking to the father. He describes what's been going on. And Jesus, you know, in verse number 19, he's very upset with these people. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the child to me. And then he's asking the father, how long has this been happening to the boy? And the father says, since he was a child. You know, many times the spirit throws him in the fire and throws him in the water to try and kill him. But if you, see, I've watched nine of your disciples fail, but if you, the leader, of this pack, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. See, now his faith has been affected. Now he's dealing with fear. He's gone from being full of faith to now being a double-minded man. He's trying to deal with faith and fear simultaneously. And this is what happens when you watch faith failures all around you or when you start to yield to symptoms or feelings or words from other people or whatever else is out there that that seeks to rob you of your faith like what's happening here okay so you know i love the honesty of the story jesus replies when the father says lord if you can do anything you know i've watched your disciples fail nine times but if you can do something help my boy to which jesus replies the classic answer that we quote so often well it's not a question that jesus says of what i can do he says if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. See, Jesus basically says, it's not a question of what I can do, mister. It's a question of what you believe I can do. To which the father answers, full of fear now, faith and fear just battling within the man's mind. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and with tears says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That is a double-minded man in operation if there ever was one. Help my unbelief. I have faith, but I have fear. I know I should be trusting you, but I've got these fears here now, and I'm dealing with those, and I need help. And so what we're talking about in these last days, I believe, more than anything else, is when the oppression and the fear and the terror starts coming against you in whatever form, whatever way, the fear is going to come. And you need to manage it. You need to learn how to manage the fear. It's not going to go away. God said, it, it surely shall assemble, he said back in Isaiah. The fear, the oppression, the terror, those things shall surely assemble. Mm -hmm. So they're not going away. 
not until Jesus returns. And in these last days, fear will uh, ratchet up. There will be more opportunities to yield to the temptation to be afraid about all sorts of things. So when that happens, you have to manage it. Okay, you're not just going to get away. The only way we're going to get rid of it is to leave and go to heaven. That's the only way you're going to actually really going to get rid of this once and for all, or if Jesus comes back, whichever. But the point is, as long as we're fighting the good fights of faith, the fear will always be there to deal with, and we have to learn how to manage the fears so that we can you know, continue to advance and to move forward under fire and all the other terminology that we use. It's the struggle for us all. Okay, Lord, I believe, I know I should be, but I'm dealing with fear. Help my unbelief. It's the battle in the mind, the double-minded man. 50% faith, 50% fear, and he's waffling back and forth. And James chapter 1 says that man will not receive anything from the Lord. He's like the wave driven by the sea all over, all over the place, you know, driven with the wind and tossed. That's not the way we're supposed to be. So what I want to do with you tonight as we close up our apostolic and prophetic conference, is talk to you about the management of fear. You have to manage it. It comes. It comes to me. It comes to you. It comes to us all. You're not exempt from it. No one is. It just comes to us in different ways, perhaps, but it comes to everybody. And in these last days, you're going to have to learn how to handle it. You can't hide from it. You can't hide behind your Bible and hope it just goes away. It's not. It's going to have to be dealt with successfully. Otherwise, you're going to be a spiritual basket case. Someone sitting in a chair singing a few songs, but you know, from the inside out, you're being eaten alive by fear. All right, a couple things to suggest. These are things that I apply in my life, and I would like to suggest that you apply them in yours. Okay? How to manage fear in these last days. How to get over the hump. Okay? Number one, choose faith over fear make a choice make a choice okay we let me say it this way the most powerful weapon we have on this planet is free will we talk about the spiritual weapons in ephesians chapter 6 and they're all there and they're wonderful and they're powerful but all of those weapons in ephesians chapter 6 is predicated upon your choice to use them it starts with choice Okay, and the devil cannot stop you from choosing anything related to the work or the power of God. How many here are born again? Okay, when you, how did you get born again? You made a choice. Somebody invited you up to the front or whatever, and you made a choice to get down on your knees, whether it was literal or figurative, and you gave your heart to the Lord. You made a choice. And what could the devil do about that? Do you think he wanted to see you get saved? Of course not. But what could he do to stop you? The answer, nothing. Okay? When the doctor says you're sick and you're going to die, but you choose to believe God, what can the doctor, what can the devil do? No, nothing. Okay? You made a choice. Okay? Free will is our most powerful weapon. Okay? You can choose fear or you can choose faith. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. It's a choice. Sometimes when we're walking by faith, we feel things and it's wonderful. And other times we don't. So we need to know and recognize these things so that we can manage the choices we've been given effectively for the Lord. Okay. 
Choose to believe God. Choose faith over fear. Face your fears. Don't hide from them. Face them. Confront them. Go after it. I'm using one particular example uh, as I speak to you tonight. We have, even as I speak here tonight, we are having leadership meetings in the Philippines for our National Youth Conference, which will be scheduled uh, May 31st to June 2nd. So they are having right now planning meetings, and all the youth leaders from our our church network are in Osamas right now in our compound holding these planning meetings. Okay? Now, there's one particular young lady in this group of leaders. They're all young people in their early 20s. That's, you know, young youth pastors in our church network. They're all there. And I was, I was talking to them and reading the reports a few hours ago. And there's one particular girl who's a Bible school graduate from our school. She's a smart chick. She loves the Lord. She's anointed. She's a soul winner. Okay? But she and her parents are stationed in a town on an island far away from where we are. I mean far away. It takes two and a half days to get there. That's how far away they are. If you go over the land. If you go by land. Now, if you go by airplane... It doesn't take nearly as long. You know, it's two flights and a three-hour drive, and you're there same day. So the last time we get together, this is not this time, but the last time, because I want all these leaders in Osamas on a, on a particular day so that I can start teaching them, and we spend three days together, and I have things in my heart to share. You know how it is. And I want to impart to them, and so I want them there on time. Well, she came the last time. She came, but she came two days late in a three-day meeting. She was there for the last day. Her name was Charity. So I said, Charity, you know, what's the deal? I mean, here you are coming in here on the third day. We've been talking and preaching and praying for two days already. You've missed a lot. Why were you so late? She says, you know, and it's typical Philippines. Well, the bus broke down. Well, the car broke down. Well, the chicken hit the motorcycle, and the motorcycle hit the bus. And, the you know, the, the storm, you know, the ferry boat was canceled, and we had to wait overnight for the ferry boat to cross over. You know, this is typical over there. So, okay, I understand that part, but I said, listen, you could have gotten on an airplane. You could have taken a three-hour drive from your church to the airport, got on an airplane, flown to Cebu, which is 20 minutes and they made a connection from Cebu to Osamas, which is 25 more minutes of flying time. Total, less than an hour, or just a little bit over, maybe. And you could have been in Osamas two and a half days ago. Why didn't you do that? She said, because I'm afraid of flying. I said, you? Afraid of flying? She said, yep, I'm terrified. I've never been on an airplane, and I don't ever want to be on one. I'm scared of those things. I said, well, listen, you have to face this. Because I don't want you wasting two and a half days of your time coming from where you are to where we are because time is precious in these last days. And when there's alternate sources of transportation, you should be able to take them. So I want you to face this fear. I don't want you to live your life afraid of boarding an airplane for the next 40 years of your life, especially when I want you in Osamas on a certain date and you can't get there because of the storm and the ferry boat cancels and the chicken hits the motorcycle and all these other things beyond your control. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'll buy your ticket on that airplane, and the next time we have one of these meetings, you are going to fly from where you are to where we are, whether you like it or not. 
because you need to face the fear. You need to conquer this. You need to choose to face it and confront it. See? That's just one example. People have to do what they have to do to get over things. And everybody has certain areas in their life where they are more prone to letting fear rule and reign in their life. Okay? Believe it or not, I used to, a long time ago, have a fear of public speaking. I've overcome that. Yes. I don't have that fear anymore. But in the early days, it was a big deal for me to get up and try to talk in front of people. I just did not like to do it. I felt very uncomfortable doing it. But I faced it, and you can see what you, you see what God can do when you decide to uh, let him work with you and face the fears and overcome them. Point being, you have to choose faith over fear. That's number one. Each of these are points we could spend a lot more time with, but for time, we'll move along. Number two, okay, Faith versus fear and choose faith. That's number one. Number two, don't let fear paralyze your outreach. Now, everybody is a minister and everybody should be reaching out, albeit in different ways because of the different callings in our life. But don't let fear paralyze your outreach. Work through the fear and keep moving forward. That's part of why I wrote that book called Advancing Under Fire. Because if you're under fire, people have a tendency to sit down and hunker down and wait it out. And uh, if that's the case, the devil will continue to shoot away because he knows you won't engage. Don't let fear paralyze your outreach. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 for a minute. 1 Corinthians okay, chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, as we read these verses here tonight, I want you to agree with me, or let me ask it this way. How many would agree with me that the Apostle Paul was a heavily anointed, mighty man of God? Sure. I don't think anybody could dispute that truth. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He cast out demons. He was used by God to introduce the gospel to the Gentile world, the first minister that we know of that did this, okay? And all that he did, you know, all the people that were saved, all the stories we read about in the book of Acts, this guy was heavily anointed by God. The devil tried to take him out so many times, but unsuccessfully and so forth. Okay, so when people talk about Paul, as I've heard them talk about Paul, they almost deify the guy. You know, the, Paul, Paul said this, and Paul did that, and Paul this, and Paul that, and Paul said, and whatever. Forgetting the fact that everything Paul said, as an example, or wrote, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I would prefer to say, you know, the Holy Spirit said through Paul, but that's just me. But my point is, a lot of people put this man up on a pedestal almost equal to Jesus. Now, I want you to read, with that thought in mind, I want you to read some of these verses with me as he writes to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. Here's what he says. And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I mean, this man carried a heavy anointing, and he talks about it. 
When I came to you, I did not come with persuasive preaching. I came to you in demonstration. He demonstrated things. Okay? You know, when you go to the store and they've got the little guy set up in his little booth, he's going to demonstrate how the vegematic works. He's got all the veggies on the table there on the counter, and he's going to show you how it works. He's giving you a demonstration. He's showing you something. Okay? He's not trying to get you just to buy it. He wants you to see how it works. So... You stand there, and he demonstrates how the vegematic works, and you stand there and watch. Okay, and he says, when I came to you, Corinthians, I came in the demonstration of the Spirit. Most churches have never had a demonstration of the Spirit, but wherever this guy went, he did. And power, he says. So this guy was heavily anointed. The Holy Spirit flowed through him in unprecedented ways. But notice verse 3. During these demonstrations of the Spirit, during these uh, exhibitions of power and the miracles and the casting out of demons and all that we read about, okay? Look at else he's dealing with here. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness, fear, much trembling. Have you ever seen somebody so afraid they're actually shaking? Their hands are shaking? Their lips are quivering. They're kind of, you know, have you ever seen people like that, that for whatever reason something has happened to them? Maybe they've just been in a car crash or something traumatic has happened and they just emotionally, they just can't get it together. They can't really even talk, you know, or think coherently. I've seen them. Okay. And hands like this. You ever see people like this where they try to reach out and shake your hand and the hands are going like this? Trembling. That's what trembling is. And Paul says, I was with you in not just trembling, much trembling. Not just a little bit of it, a lot of it, much, much trembling and weakness and fear. Paul, weak, in weakness, Paul, in fear, Paul, this great apostle, yeah, him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's very encouraging to me. Because I face the same temptations you do. Weakness, fear, and much trembling. But notice, he kept going. He wouldn't let that paralyze his outreach. He kept moving forward. He wouldn't let the weakness. He wouldn't let the fear. He wouldn't let the trembling influence his ministry. You, you have to see it that way if you're going to manage it the way he did, the way we should. Okay? My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but I demonstrated to you the Holy Spirit and the power of God while at the same time I'm dealing with weakness in my character. Who knows? Fear and in much trembling. We know from Romans 6, 7, 6, uh, chapters 6 and 7, that the man had issues in his life just like you may have issues in yours and I in mine. Now, we never find out what they are. The Holy Spirit chose not to reveal them to us. But he made statements. He said, you know, the things I shouldn't do, I do. The things I know I should be doing, I don't. Oh, wretched man that I am, who delivers me from this body of death? He had, he had you know, skeletons in his closet. He had issues just like everybody else. Okay, he was not some super saint. He was heavily anointed and did wonderful things, but he was no different than you and me. He faced fear and had to overcome it. He had to manage it just like you and I do. And look what he was able to do because he did. Okay, much trembling. You know, I've been I've been in places like that where in fear and trembling, I move forward for God. You know, the story, you've probably, I'm sure you've heard it before from me if, if you've been here for any length of time. You know, the trip to the Philippines, the first time. My knees were knocking. I got to tell you, I was scared 
speechless sitting in that uh, departure area in the LAX airport, Los Angeles, because they are now the, the sign boarding now was blinking. I mean, this is the time to commit. Up until that point, there was always an out. Okay? For nine months, I'd been preparing for this, confessing the scriptures. You know, God's got an army marching through the land. Watch out, devil, I'm coming through. But now I am there. It's, it's, it's the time to commit. And I've got $20 in my pocket, 20 bucks, and a one-way ticket to the Philippines and no way back. And I don't even know if the person I wrote letters to about ministry even got the letters. He never answered me at that point. So I didn't know. And I'm about ready to board an airplane with a bunch of people I, I don't know, a bunch of Filipinos jabbering in languages I have no idea what they're saying. And I'm all by myself. No one's there to see me off. No parents, no loved ones, nobody. I'm there alone with $20 in my pocket. And I'm about to fly to Asia, not Kansas. <laughs> and, I mean, you talk about fear. I could I was sweating bullets in that and I prayed man I prayed I said God I mean here we are it's 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 the moment of truth have I heard your voice or have I not because I've been saying I did but no one has answered my letters I have no idea and I've got no money back see back then you could get a one way ticket you can't do that anymore but back then you could I had enough money for a one way ticket so I bought it cuz God said to so now okay now it's time to get on that plane because once they shut that door we're going, and I, you know, they won't turn around for me halfway across, you know, with me vomiting in the back of the airplane for fear. They're not going to turn around for me. We're going to go. So I'm praying to God, do I or do I not get on that airplane? And he says, you know, in no uncertain terms, I told you where to go. Did I not? Did I not tell you to go? Yes. Well, then get on the plane. So in weakness, fear, and trust me, much trembling, I got on that plane. Here's my ticket. You know, Jesus loves you too. All the way across. You know, the Bible says pray in tongues. I prayed in tongues for 12 hours. My tongue was having cramps. I was praying in tongues for so long. All the way across the Pacific. Looking out the window. My God, my God, what am I doing? Shandai, Shandai, see the clouds, see my bow tie, help me, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I was dealing with the fear the whole flight. And then we landed. That was, you know, the, here comes the fear again. Now we're, we're, I'm on foreign soil. I'm in another country. I don't know the language. I don't know the people. I don't have anyone there to meet me. And I have 20 U.S. dollars in my pocket and no one is there to help me. Mm -mm. And I have no ticket back. This is it. So all the Filipinos are getting their stuff out of the overhead bins, jabbering in Tagalog and Cebuano and all these different languages, they're having a great time because they're home now and they're going to see family and friends. And I'm sitting there in that seat, you know, it's hunkered down, you know, in a fetal position. You know, it says fear comes again. I'm looking out the window and at the bottom of the stairs, they rolled the stairs to the side of the jet. And from my window seat, I could see the bottom of the stairs. Back then, they didn't have a jetway that you, you know, roll to the thing and then you walk into the terminal. They didn't have that back then. Back then, it was stairs. You went down onto the tarmac, and you walked into this little Quonset hut. looked like a lavatory at a, you know, truck stop. That was the international terminal back then. Looking out the window, and there's two Philippine Marines with Uzi submachine guns. 
going through the carry-on baggage of the passengers looking for bombs and weapons and guns because the Philippines at that time was under martial law. Marcos was in power, and he had declared martial law to... Oh, yeah, Marcos was in power, and the, the communists were trying to take over the country. So there was civil war. I'm telling you, there were tanks on every street corner, soldiers with guns everywhere. This, uh, the, the nation was under martial law, and this is what I fly into with 20 bucks and a one-way ticket. And no knowledge of the language, no knowledge of the customs, no friends to meet me, and the fear came again. Big cloud just descends on me, sitting in that seat, the loneliest moment of my life. And I cried out to God again. I said, my God, what have I done? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I said, man, I don't know. And I, you know, fear. And he said, what did I tell you? He just repeated himself. He said, I told you to go. So go, keep moving forward in fear and trembling. And so I did made my way south, you know, flew from Manila to Cebu. I must have looked like a deer with in the headlights looking around, you know, I mean, I was just like, Mr. Who am I? You know, I didn't know where I was, you know, Hey, where's the, you know, all the way down to Cebu, which is the last place on my ticket. I got that far. That was as far as I could pay. And there was supposed to be somebody there to meet me or so I was told. And I, and if they had not been there, I was out of luck. I mean, I had no money left and I had no ticket back. And I'm, you know, you talk about fear. We landed in Cebu and, you know, just getting down off the plane, you know, my legs are shaking, my knees are knocking, my hands are quivering, you know, and I'm looking around. This is it. And there was a little guy way off with the little tiny sign, my keys on the sign. I was so happy to see a human being in my life. Yeah, I'll never forget the guy. His name was Moises Tagayong. I know, I'll never forget him. He was a staff member at the, at the ministry where I was going to go and work, and he had been sent up to Cebu to meet me. But I didn't know any of that until I landed, and there he was. Little sign, Mike Keys. I grabbed that guy, hugged him so tight, he must have thought I had issues. I got to tell you, I didn't let go of that guy for about three minutes. He couldn't breathe. You know, I said, oh, thank God, there's a human being who knows who I am. You know. He says, yeah, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Let me go. Good things happen when you overcome your fears. Good things happen when you overcome your fears. Because when I went to the Philippines, God never told me I'd meet my wife there. But I did. He didn't tell me any of that. This is not how God works. God expects you to take each step by faith. And if fear comes along the way to try and... Uh, detour you you have to address the fear and keep moving forward maintain course and heading see i didn't know that my wife was waiting for me over there but god did she didn't know either you know but within two weeks i met her within two weeks i landed in september i met her on her birthday her birthday is october 6 i met her at her church they were having a little birthday party for her she was 18 years old and i showed up and so they invited me to the party you know and I looked around, and there's the birthday girl. Said, "No, nah, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's missions right there. Praise the Lord. I'm interested in your outreach. Praise the Lord. <laughs> What's your name? Praise the Lord. See, and you know, long story short, we've been married for 33 years, and she's perfect for me. I mean, you know, it's a long story. We won't go into all that tonight, but she's perfect. She's perfectly suited to stay stand by my side." Her temperament complements mine in every way mine needs to be complimented because she completes me in many ways. She's nice. 
Yeah, she's friendly, she's warm, she's engaging. That's right. She always has bail bond money in case I need it, you know. Goes and gets me out of jail. But the point is, don't let fear crush your dreams. Don't let fear cancel your assignments from God because you're afraid to commit because of it. Okay? In fear and trembling, keep moving forward. Amen? Don't let that fear paralyze your outreach because when you do overcome it, good things are on the other side of that decision. And my life is a living example of that. Okay? So don't let fear paralyze your outreach. Number three, for time, let's move along. And this is what I was talking about when I was mentioning the peace CD set. Let God's peace replace fear in your heart. Okay? Faith and peace. If you're in faith, there should be peace. You should be a peaceful person. Uh, most people are not peaceful when they say they are following Jesus. They, they, they say they are, but there's no real evidence of that. They're just as stressed out as everybody else. You know, they're in anger management classes just like the unbelievers. You know, they're taking the uh, depression pills and the anxiety pills and all the other pills just like everybody else. What's the difference? We should be different. And one of the best ways to show that difference is by allowing the peace of God to guard your heart and guard your mind. Okay? Look with me at John 14 and verse 27, okay? John 14 and verse 27. Jesus is the speaker here, okay? Let's look at a few statements he makes. John 14 and verse 27. Here's what he says. All right? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Notice, my peace I give. Would you agree that Jesus was a peaceful person? Yeah, sure was. No matter what the devil threw against him, he was never caught off guard. He was never caught unprepared. No matter all the slick, you know, tongue-twisting statements the Pharisees tried to do to trip him up, he never bothered him. Okay, he just, he just had this peace about him. And it says, my peace, that, that same peace, he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. See, it's, you can't get this in any other place. Everybody's looking for it in all the wrong places. They try to find it in sex. They try to find it in alcohol. They try to find it in drugs. They try to find it with a, a wonderful paying job, you know, that gives them gazillions of dollars. They find all the, they look for it in all the wrong places. The only place you find this is in Jesus. He said, this is my peace, and I give it not as the world gives. You can't get this anywhere else. But notice, because of it, he says at the back part of verse 27, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So if uh, he's saying let not, what's that tell us? Who's it up to? Who, who's controlling here? We are. It's not God, and it's not the devil. When he says, let not your heart be troubled, then it's under my control. When he says, let not your heart become afraid, it's under my control. I can let it be afraid, or I can let it not be afraid. I can let my heart be troubled, or I can let my heart not be troubled. It's my choice. But when the peace of God is doing its job within you, it's a lot easier to do this. Okay? If you're a parent with children and your children are not where they need to be with Jesus, you need to be listening to this. 
okay? Because it's been my experience in ministry and in counseling with people, especially when they're dealing with a spouse who's not saved or a child who's off on drugs or whatever. They're all, you know, running around worrying all the time. And they come into the office and they want to talk about it. You know, again, my counseling sessions are not very long. There's no reason for it. Let's find the verse that covers the situation, and I'll simply say, go do what that verse says. Be warm, be filled, and be gone. Go on. See me in six months. There's no reason to sit there for 45 minutes, you know, listening to the whole story drone along. There's no point, okay? Because at the end of the 45 minutes, I'm still going to tell you to do what that verse says to do. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart become afraid. Never mind where the spouse may be at their present time in life. Never mind where the children may be at this present course and time in life. You surround them with your words. Proverbs 19.7 says, pursue people with words. You know, you can pursue people with words all over the world. There's no distance in the spirit. You can speak words over loved ones, over colleagues, over fellow workers. You can speak words over people on the other side of the world, even if they don't know you're doing it. It's enough that God knows you're doing it because your words carry power. See? And, you know, parents being parents, of course, they love their children and they don't want anything bad to happen to them, so they're worrying and wringing their hands. It's 11 o'clock, where's my child? It's midnight, where's my child? It's 1 a.m., my God, where is he? Where is she? And I tell people, stop worrying about it. Your worry isn't going to bring them home. And your prayers from a position of worry are not going to work because they're not faith prayers. They're fear prayers. You're afraid of what might happen. You're afraid of what's going, where they are, what's happened. Forget it. Just go to bed because your prayers, you're wasting your time. Rather, what you ought to do is surround them in faith and prayer and turn them over to the Lord and go to bed because you can't do it anyway. So why not let God be God? Amen. Uh, you know, I'll use my wife as an example. She loves our children. She's a perfect mother. I mean, I, you know, I love my wife and she loves our children and she does her best to just love them and just take care of them as a mother should. I'm very blessed to have a woman who's that kind of mother to my children. Okay, I, on, on the other hand, tend to be rather short with my children. But in love, it's a short kind of loving expression. But my wife, you know, she follows them around. You know, it's Facebook. She's looking and, you know, what, who's this person and who's that person and what are they and where are they? Yeah, you know, it's just, I said, will you leave them alone? Okay, just pray. Just pray, and, and when you pray, let it go. Come on, come, come to bed with me. Don't, don't walk the, the floors all night long praying in tongues, you know, through the kitchen and whatever. Just hey, come on, come on to bed. There's, they're fine. God knows where they are. Amen? Yeah, but, 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 but. I said, no, 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 but, 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 but. Just come on to bed. Just let, let go. You know, because we used to, you know, uh, drop them off at the school bus. You know, these days, every kid's got to go to school with a, you know, Armalite rifle next to them to s just survive the day, you know. And so my wife would worry about it. Well, you know, I said, just let it go. When they get on the bus, speak blessings over those kids, and God will take care of them, and they'll bring them home in one piece this afternoon. And that's how we prayed them through school, okay? Point being, if you let the peace of God control your life, you can... You can manage those difficult seasons in life when loved ones are off doing things you know they shouldn't be doing. And I don't know why I'm sharing this with you because it's not on my outline, but someone needs to hear it.
Because if you happen to be that person I'm describing, you need to step back and just let God be God. Because he loves your children or your loved one, whatever, more than you. And you need to let that peace guard your heart and guard your mind instead of becoming an emotional wreck every day because you don't know what's happening in the lives of people that you love. Let the peace of God be your sentinel. Amen. Are you listening? See, right now, I'll just tell a little bit on my family. Right now, my two children, who are loving kids, my son and my daughter, the son is 29, the daughter's 23, soon to be 24. They both love us. We have a wonderful relationship. We talk, we fellowship, but they are not where they need to be right now with Jesus. They're not reading their Bible like they should. They're not going to church like they've been taught. But they're not bad kids. They're not off on drugs. They're not doing any of that stuff. They're just not where they need to be with Jesus. So what am I doing about it? I'm just speaking over them every day. I have peace in my heart. We declared before they were born, they are going to serve God. And I declare every day of my life, before I leave this earth, I'm going to see them with their hands in the air and tears on their cheeks, praising God for the goodness and grace of God, bringing them back. They may be prodigal children right now, but they're coming home. And no weapon formed against them can prosper. Amen. And the devil comes along with all of his lies. You know, well, this is what's going to happen. I just tell him, shut up. What do you know? You know, my children are none of your business. Amen. So we don't worry about it. You know, they're coming back. They're not really out there, you know, way out there in the twilight zone, but they're just not where they need to be. And we're going to bring them back. Amen. I'm not going to be worried about it. The peace of God that passes all understanding guards my heart. I don't, I don't wring my hands all night long wondering what's happening over in the Philippines with him or over in Arizona with her. You know, praise the Lord. God's got their back because I'm surrounding them with my words. Amen. That's how you do that, in my opinion. Praise the Lord. Number four. Don't be afraid of persecution and physical death in these last days. Now, that may sound strange to people in America, but trust me when I say to you that should Jesus tarry, you're going to face persecution and the threat of death in this country, the likes of which we've never seen before. It's already happening. Okay, Should Jesus tarry, we're going to see more of this. Unless the country makes a radical turn back towards God, which of course could happen if the Christians pray, like I mentioned the other day. But all things being considered, the way things are going now, Things are only going to get worse. You have to be prepared for this. Okay, Christians are being maligned and lampooned and persecuted now in this country more than they've ever been before. Okay, we're going to have to take a stand and take the heat when we do. Okay, because it's very politically correct now to compromise your faith so that you won't ruffle anybody's feathers. I say ruffle the feathers. Here's what I say. If you rub the cats further wrong way, let the cat turn around. If you don't like it, that's your problem. But I'm going to tell you the truth. If you throw me in jail, throw me in jail. I'll preach from jail. I've already told my staff overseas, time may come when we're in jail preaching the gospel. If that comes to pass and I'm in jail for the things we preach, let me just say to you, staff members, I better see you in the jail cell next to me. Because if I don't, you're fired. Amen. It's the way we run this ship, praise God. But the point being, don't be afraid of any of that. Listen, even if we're threatened with death, what are you going to threaten me with? Heaven? 
Wow, I'm terrified the thought of going to be with Jesus. Listen, for an unbeliever, there should be definitely a fear of physical death. But for the believer, we should look beyond that, praise God, and never mind the persecution, no matter how intense it may get. Don't back off. Don't step back from your witness. Don't stop telling the truth just because you're taking the heat. Okay? You know, a lot of Christians, they've never experienced things like that. So when they share Jesus and someone flips them the the bird or tears up their track or curses up one side and down the other, they go into an emotional cocoon for six months. You know, they go down to the emergency room to check themselves in. Why? Well, someone tore my track up. Well, bring them in. Bring the gurney in. Praise the Lord. Yeah, resuscitate these poor souls. What's wrong? They're hyperventilating. Why? Because someone tore up their track at the mall. Don't be afraid of the persecution. Keep reaching out. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. Matthew 10, 24. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Matthew 10 and verse number 24. Here's what it says. A disciple... Is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Okay. Then verse 26. Therefore, in other words, because of that, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. I was just having a Facebook exchange with a, a sister, and, you know, I was talking about the importance of speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth. And she responds, you know, with this long, long response about, you know, well, I understand that, you know, in, in my experience, it was the gentleness and love of God and the respect for other people that brought me into the kingdom of God. And I answered her, and her name was uh, Wendy. I said, Wendy, I appreciate your your opinion shared here with me and i i can see that your heart is pure and you love the lord but i want you to understand not everybody is like you not everybody can be reached like you were reached there are people who need to have the the slack jerked out of their slacks and you need to get in someone's face when you need to get in someone's face jesus did it and you know although you got saved with the gentle loving respectful approach not everybody can be reached that way. So you need to back up and give people space to follow God the way they need to. And if it happens to be a way that you don't necessarily agree with or don't like, don't diss them just because it's not something that you would do. Amen? I mean, look at Jesus. He got in people's face a lot. His own staff. He called Peter Satan. How would you respond if on a Sunday morning your beloved pastor called you Satan in front of the entire church because of something, some whatever that went on, you know, how would you respond? You know, all things being equal, you know, how would you respond if you were on the front row in your home church and the guest speaker, meaning Jesus calls you a whited sepulcher for the dead men's bones and says to you in front of everybody else, you know, when you make one proselyte, which means a convert, you make him twofold more a child of hell than you already are. And if I'm the Pharisee, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm edified. I'm blessed. 
Isn't that a wonderful message? I'm so uplifted, praise the Lord. I'm, it's such a positive confession here. I'm going back and I'm going to get his CDs. I can't wait for next week. And he goes home and the wife says, how was church service today? It was wonderful. The rabbi called me a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones. I'm just so edified. I'm so lifted up with, with, with edification. See? Point being, tell the truth. In whatever way God tells you to tell it, but tell it. And don't hold back in doing so. Don't hold back because you might offend somebody. Don't hold back because you're afraid of what might happen if you do. We're going to catch the heat no matter what you do. So you might as well accept that up front. Don't be afraid of the persecution. Jesus said, don't fear these people. Okay? So many Christians are afraid to speak up because they're afraid of what might happen when they do. Well, then what that is is, you know, you're taking your hand off the plow. Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and then withdraw that hand, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Keep that hand on the plow. Keep talking about Jesus the way he needs to be discussed and let the chips fall where they may. And if people fire you, let them fire you. God will give you a better job. Amen. And if they threaten you with death and, you know, you're on, you're at the firing squad, rejoice and praise the Lord because in 10 seconds you're with Jesus. Amen. I mean, you know, we forget sometimes, everybody, that the letters we read here were all penned in the blood of the people who wrote them. Paul wrote all these epistles from prison, okay? And it was not a minimum security cell he was in either. Okay, go back and read. That guy's hands were fat, hands and feet were in the stocks, you know? His back was whipped wide open, and no, there's no 24-hour emergency room there. You know, he's bleeding, there's bugs, there's rats, there's spiders, there's mosquitoes in the hands and feet are in the stocks, and he and the other guy are praising God at midnight. Amen. Aren't you glad you came tonight? What a wonderful way to wrap up these meetings. Thank you, Jesus. Look with me at Ecclesiastes 7.1, and we'll close up here. We'll wrap this up here in a minute. I just want you to see that in the last days, we're going to be facing things that we've never faced before. You have to understand that going in. Okay? You can't hide and hope it goes away. It isn't going away. All right? We're, we're in very perilous times. We used to talk about the end times in the 1980s, but we had no idea what we were talking about because we didn't have any idea. There would be an Internet. There would be a Facebook. There would be, you know, uh, cell phones where you could pick up and this little device in your hand, you can call the other side of the world. Back in the 80s, a fax machine was radical. You know, just people having a fax machine. Okay? Back then, man, it took all day to send one page. Remember those days. Now, you know, the, the day in which we live, man, it's just, it's something else. Okay? Ecclesiastes, here's a verse that I'll leave you with. I like this verse because it, it keeps things in perspective for me, the life that I live. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. And listen, the day of death better than the day of one's birth. Listen to that. The day of death, now this is God's perspective. This is how he sees it. The day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Now that's not how we see it. Everybody's afraid to die, but that's not how God sees it. God says, your death day is actually more precious to me than your birthday. Why? Because we get to go home. He gets to see us face to face, and we get to see him face to face. It's amazing if you stop and think about it. We have been born into a cursed world. I, I mentioned this yesterday. 
Everything down here is cursed, and we're swimming upstream. We're always swimming upstream. There's always resistance. There's always a devil. There's always demons. You just don't go do what you want to go do for God without somebody or some demon trying to stop you. That's just the way it is down here. But when you get to heaven, there's no resistance. We don't know what it's like to live in an environment, in, in an atmosphere of no resistance. People that have gone to heaven and come back, that's the fir- one of the first things they say. The, the atmosphere is so much different because there's no devil. There's no sin. There's no curse. It's just wonderful up there. People are singing. People are running and jumping and dancing and clapping and shouting. It's a wonderful place to go. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ because that's far better because he'd seen it. He'd seen it. He had a vision of it. He saw a glimpse. He said, man, it's far better up there. That's why when people die in Christ and go to heaven and, you know, people are down here praying for them to come back, they don't want to come back. That's why nobody invites me to Christian funerals. Because there's nothing to cry about. I just miss you so much. Well, get over yourself. Because the people you're crying about are in heaven. They're with Jesus. They're not crying. They're not in pain anymore. They're not sick. They're with the Lord. They see him face to face. Imagine the joy on their on their face and the joy in their heart at being with the Lord. And that's where they are. You know, my mother died in 2003, and they asked me to do the funeral, my my other family members. This was back in Cleveland, Ohio. So I took my wife and kids, and we flew to Cleveland to do the funeral for my mother. My mother had been sick for many years, and it was a slow slide down. She finally left this planet and went home to be with the Lord. So the body's back in the casket there, and all the cousins and aunties and uncles, a lot of them which I hadn't seen in years, were all there, and everybody's weeping and wailing. And so it was my time to give the eulogy. So all the brothers and sisters on the front row, my brothers and sisters on the front row, and you know, this melancholic, terrible look on their faces and red eyes and crying all day long, you know, and all this. And I got up and said, you know, basically, look, why are all you people crying? You, my brother, you, my sister, literally my sister, my brother, why? And they look at me like, what do you mean, why am I crying? I said, she's not there. She's in heaven. Our mother's in heaven. That body back there is what she lived in, but she's not there. She's up in heaven. That thing back in the casket was her suitcase. She was living in that thing for 79, 80 years, but she's not there anymore. She's in heaven. She's running, and she's jumping, and she's dancing, and she's clapping, and she's praising the Lord. She's running around on the streets of gold up there. Praise God. She sees Jesus face to face. Do you think that she'd want to come back and be with you? Yeah, some of them still haven't been talking to me, and it's been like 15 years since then. But the point is, I say I, that's why they never invite me to these things, because I refuse to cry. I understand we miss people. I got it. I understand that. You can't replace somebody that you love. But let's see beyond us, and let's remember where they are. I say to people, do you really love the person you're crying over? Yes. Well, then rejoice. You know, death is not... The end, as he says here, the day of death is better than the day of birth, as far as God's concerned. And we'll see them again. You know, it's like they took a trip. And we'll see them again. They took a trip, and we're going to meet up with them. Amen. may take a few years, but we'll see them again. And this is how I do funerals. That's why they never asked me to do them. Let anybody else into the funeral parlor, but not keys. Keep him out in the parking lot. We need to cry a little bit. 
We need to be terrible. We need to be melancholic and morose for a while. But listen, in these last days, now there's other points. We don't have time for all this. But the point for us here tonight is manage the fear. The fear of dying is a natural fear. But if you read the testimonies, go read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs. These people, you know, burned at the stake, praising God while they're burning. People being shot through with arrows, arrows praising God. You know, it's just, what? You know, because they could see past the moment. They could see past the pain. They could see past it all. You know, kids being martyred for their faith. Do you realize that in the 20th century, we're well into the 21st now, but in the 20th century, more people were martyred for their faith for Christ than the first 19 centuries combined? You know, we like to think all this stuff happened back in Jesus' day with the emperors and Nero and all that. There were more people killed for Christ in the 20th century than in all the first 19 centuries combined. And it's getting worse now as we enter into the 21st. But, you know, let's keep moving forward. Oppression and fear and terror will come, but they're not from God. And in righteousness, we will be established. Let's keep our eyes on the horizon. Let's keep our perspective. Amen. Let's not let fear paralyze our outreach. Let's continue to move forward under fire and be somebody that God can count on in the clutch. And if you're here tonight and you're facing fear, address it, face it, confront it. Don't hide from it. Don't hope it goes away because it won't. As long as the devil knows that you're not dealing with it, he'll continue to pummel you every day for the rest of your life with this. Okay, so if you've got to get on an airplane, take a flight, fly somewhere. Do what you have to do as an example to face it and overcome it and choose faith over fear. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord God, that we will take to heart the scriptures we've quoted and the thoughts we've shared. And I thank you, Lord, that as a result, we will be people of faith. We won't be like that father full of faith and fear. But I want to praise and thank you, Lord, that with your help, we will manage fear in these last days. We will be people you can count on in the clutch, even if fear tries to come and oppression tries to come and terror all around us. We will not waver. We will not falter. We will remain strong and steadfast for you, Lord. And if that means we're put in jail, so be it. If it means we lose our life, so be it. But we know, Lord, that in these last days, Perilous times will indeed come, but we will understand the moment and understand the fear and manage it wisely and effectively for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute, okay? If you're dealing with fear of any kind, there's all kinds, but if you're dealing with fear, I want you to come to grips with it tonight before you leave here. Okay? What is it? What is it? What are you afraid of? What's keeping you back? What's holding you back? What is it? Okay? Identify it. And if it's there, by the strength and power of God, I want you to make a decision tonight. I am moving past this. I am going over this hurdle once and for all. Okay, could be fear of sickness, you know, fear of getting cancer, fear of, you know, I went to the doctor and they said there's something there and I'm dealing with that fear, whatever the case may be. Okay, I want you to, in the privacy of your own heart tonight, 
address the fear. I have to do the same things in my life that I'm asking you to do here tonight in yours. Okay? Because until you get a hold of this, it will always be your Achilles heel that Satan will take advantage of. Don't let him have that avenue into your life anymore. Okay? Because you can't be passionate for Jesus. Remember, Prophet Stephen was talking about being passionate on Saturday night. And you can't be that way if you're, you're bound up with fear. So face it. Thank you, Lord. And when that fear comes, maybe it comes in the middle of the night, you know, and you wake up in a cold sweat, you know, thoughts come to your mind. Know what to do when that happens. Get up off the bed. Start declaring the scriptures. Put your hands in the air. Praise God and beat that thing back. Jesus' name, beat it back. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in these last days, says the Lord, many of my people will be unable to be used by my spirit in great and, ma and mighty ways because the fear has usurped authority in their heart and in their life. And their angels stand by the side, unable to move as ministering spirits because they refuse to budge and fear has paralyzed them in many, many ways. I am calling my church to a place of freedom, freedom from fear, to understand it, to address it, and to overcome it. So that in these last days, as fear continues to circle this globe and run amok among the people who don't know my name, they will be able to see within the body of Christ members of my body who have overcome and conquered those fears. And it will be a magnet and a drawing card. They will want to know why the fear that you face does not usurp authority in your life like it does in theirs. Understand this and realize this. This is what I am looking for. My word says that I search to and fro throughout the world, looking for people to show myself strong to. Those who are bound by fear have disqualified themselves. I cannot use them. But if you take a stand and believe my word and trust in the indwelling presence of my spirit, no fear will take you. No fear will dominate you. No fear will arrest you. No fear will kill you. And you can be used mightily in these last days and be a person that I can count on in the clutch, no matter what comes down the road, for good or for bad, prior to my return. So embrace the truth. Don't be like the many. Be like the few. And receive my word and understand that all things are possible to those who believe. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. presence of the Lord is very real right now, very thick in the room. Just come to grips with what's dealing, what you're dealing with in your heart. You just heard the Lord talk about the fact that he searches to and fro, back and forth, looking for people to show himself strong and can't find that many. A lot of people disqualify themselves because of this. And we have to grow beyond this. We have to move beyond this. The time is running out. The time is running out. We've got to be available to the Lord. He needs us. We can't be hiding behind our Bibles, hoping the devil leaves us alone. We need to attack. We need to be aggressive. We need to be living on the offensive, not the defensive. We can't do that if we're bound by fear. Thank you, Jesus.
Amen. Thank you, Lord. If you're here tonight and you need healing, where you sit right now, I want you to reach out and receive it, okay? Sometimes, you know, many times we call people up and that's one way, but other times the power will just do its job while we sit in our seat and we just concentrate on setting ourselves free and the healing comes. So if you're here tonight and you need help physically, I want you to reach out by faith right now and receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes in our crusades, we never get to the people that get healed. They just get healed as they're listening out there in the crowd. We never touch them because the power does the work. And that power is present this evening to do that. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. wait upon the Lord for a minute the Bible says they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they mount up with wings like eagles they run and they will not walk they'll run and they won't faint thank you Lord we wait upon you here this evening Lord thank you for all the marvelous messages we've heard and the great truths that have been presented during these four services Help us to collect everything in our heart to process it by the Spirit of God and to really let these meetings propel this church forward. Yes, Lord, I see that. It's a great year for this church. I see it in my spirit. It's a great year for this church. A lot of pain and suffering will pay off because you have refused to quit and give up. Thank you, Lord. And everybody here tonight, as an example, please understand how important you are to the future success of this work. Okay? Please understand how important you are to the future success of this work. All right? Now, the reason Pastor Mike and Kathy had these meetings was to prepare you for what is ahead. That's why this was done. Okay? We didn't just have meetings to have meetings. Okay, there's other things we can do. But there's a reason God had us come. I hope you are listening. And if you weren't able to attend all the services, please get the CDs and listen to what was said so that you can take full advantage of everything that God said to us, whether it be through the, the preaching of the word or by the gifts of the spirit or by words of prophecy or whatever else happened. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Amen. All right. I feel a release. I feel a release. Manage that fear, friends. Okay. Be like Paul with fear and much trembling. Keep moving forward and God will take good care of you. Amen. Amen. He was preaching to me. How about you? Amen. That was powerful. And this is going to be a good year. It's already been a good year. And I'm excited about it. We're going to uh, receive one more final offering. And so sow the seed that you have. Bless the man of God. And